Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I'm Andrew, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, Andrew. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. And our guest today is Amanda Alonso. Hi, thank you. Hi, Eileen. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Today, our guest is Amanda Alonzo. Amanda is a 36-year-old Latina woman with autism. She's raising her 14-year-old son, who also has autism. She's a psychotherapist who owns her own private practice, Blue Alliance Counseling Center. She's been in the mental health field since she was 18, starting as a mental health specialist in the military, and is now a licensed marriage and family therapist. She wants to spread awareness and advocate for autism awareness and hopes to lead to more acceptance for people like her and her son. Hey, Amanda. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We were talking before we started recording and you said you've listened to our podcast before. So you know that we always start by asking our guests how they like to identify. Um, And, you know, we're talking about pronouns, but also um, I, I noticed in your bio that you say, as autism. And, you know, I think it's the first time we have someone who chooses this terminology. I don't know if I'm correct on that. Don't quote me on that. But I feel like more people use autistic in their bio. So anyway, do you have any preference in how you identify? Uh, Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, So pronouns are she, her. And my, I do say that I have autism. I sometimes, I prefer that, but I do say I'm autistic too it just depends on the situation but I since I got diagnosed or what since my son's been diagnosed we say has autism and he prefers that too so we're kind of comfortable with that type of thing with saying it like that but yeah so thanks for asking and uh so you were when were you diagnosed with autism what was the process like ah great question so I was diagnosed in my late 20s I went to see a psychologist and for several years, actually, because I was, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. Being in the mental health field, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. And um, one of the requirements for my master's program was seeing a therapist. And uh, she was able to do the assessments. Like that's what she, um, one of her focuses in, but that's not why I went to go see her. (laughs) But she um, noticed some things and, you know, as, a couple of years went by, we kind of more diverted into that realm. And that's how the process got started. She noticed it, we did an assessment, um, but I kept it in my mental health record. So I don't know if people are aware, but you can have it in your mental health record and not put it on your medical record. And it wasn't until my mid thirties, um, recently actually, that I actually put it in my medical record. So that's what the process has been like. So now it's on my medical record and mental health record, but for quite some time, I just kept it on my mental health record. And, so and what's said, the difference if you, I, I didn't even know there, there was one. So do you mind sharing that? Yeah. So the difference, it, it varies from state to state, but here in the state of California, the difference is in services that you can receive. So if you just have it on your mental health record, um, and I wanted to go to say the social security office and receive some services or um, to receive some assistance at work, even in the workplace, um, or yeah, government, actually it's just governmental assistance, social security, so that's governmental assistance. But if I wanted assistance, plain and simple, you want assistance like that from maybe the regional center or anything like that, then it would have to be on your medical record. Um, But if you just, you know, you choose not to have assistance because 
for whatever reason, at the time, I just didn't feel the need to put it on my medical record. Um, you just keep it on your mental health record and then that's it. And so that changed throughout the years for you because at first you didn't have it there and then you got it on there. And I'm also really, uh, I mean, that must have been so surprising for you because you said you went into the assessment and well, you were seeing your psychologist, but that wasn't why you were seeing her. So that was kind of a surprise. Was it, I mean, how was it like? Was it weird to learn you have autism? It was, it was, and then it wasn't. It was, so when my son got diagnosed, uh, you know, my mother, she came with me through his process. And a lot of the questions that she asked, she started thinking back to when I was younger. For me, the biggest thing that went through my mind is, well, I don't think what my son is doing is different because I resonate with that. Like, it just didn't seem different. That's why I would have never picked up on it. So I was just like, no, but luckily my mom came and so was able to answer a lot of the questions that they had. And then when I started asking like my mom about when I was younger, she started, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that stand out now. Like she thought I was deaf up until like I was four. She really did believe that I was deaf, but I wasn't. They tested me and everything like that. And I wasn't. Um, I had a lot of difficulties with speech. I was in like speech uh, support uh, language classes and things like that. So there was a lot of signs, but in my culture, whenever we have certain things that are just different, like I was known as the crier, I would have a lot of tantrums. We write it off to um, wives' tales, old wives' tales. So that in my culture, a lot of the stuff that was different about me at the time was written off as old wives' tales. You know, like my mom didn't eat um, the specific food that she craved when I was pregnant, when she was pregnant of me. So that's why I was a crier. Um, it really does roll like that. <laughs> so I'm a first generation in this country from my father's side. So there really was like that. Like it was a lot of old wives' tales writing it off. Like, oh, it's because of this or that. Um, but lo and behold, I would have met the criteria then too, most likely. That's so crazy. I feel like it's similar in France, not to the same level, uh, but you know, French people tend to write it off. Oh, well, it's bad parenting. Oh, he's being a brat. Or, you know, it's more of a behavior thing in French people's mind than a, you know, a, a disorder. Um, so you both are on the spectrum, you and your son. And I get asked this question a lot and I, I'm never sure how to answer. I'm sure, um, but you said that uh, you were not really aware of your son's differences just because you, you could relate to him, right? So how does that help you in parenting him? Uh, do you think you can, you understand your son better than a neurotypical parent could? Wow, another great question. Yeah, I, we have it like with my husband, he's not on the spectrum and I am. And the way we see certain things that my son would express, even a meltdown, um, we both express meltdowns. Like I am 36. I still have meltdowns. I, I mean, I still do. And I'm, I'm in the mental health field. I still do. It's never, that part isn't going to change. How we express them is very similar to how my son expresses them. We're very, it's aggressive in form. Um, you know, a lot of physical aggression to ourselves more so than to others. So it's, it's just one of those things that I had to walk my husband through because it was really hard for him to grasp. Like, you, I wish it didn't look like that. I wish it wasn't like that. ABA really assisted both my son and me. I know that's a touchy subject, subject, but for me and my son, both of us, it really did help us learn how to cope so it wouldn't be as aggressive. 
but we, I had me, I had to walk my husband through that because he couldn't grasp his head around like what that was. Um, certain behaviors, uh, when it comes to just repetitive behaviors, it's really hard for my husband to grasp like with my son, like, why is it like that? And until I can break it down, because I have more of the, you know, language to utilize to break it down, like, oh, it's, you know, this is just, it feels good when we're doing stuff like that. Or when I watch the same movie for a million times over and over, or eat the same food. <laughs> so that's and I think, how I relate. And I think it's interesting because, you know, if you don't know that what you're doing is, you know, different than maybe it's not different to you, like exactly what you said, you said there was just so much that was you know, how your, you know, how your son was is on so many ways how you were. So you didn't think there was anything different. I find that, you know, really interesting. Um, Just because we always, you know, if we're, if we've never experienced differently, then how do we know there's no baseline. So what is it like being an autism advocate on social media these days? What do you think we could do better? And how many times you just want to roll your eyes at like everyone you know, being a like clinician or therapist in a space? I always find how some of it must be like watching a movie where like when you know a lot about a subject, they get it wrong. So like, you know, I'm big into computers and in finance. So anytime somebody's like talking about that, I want to roll my eyes. But it's it's much different when you're an advocate. There's real lives and people at stake. Yes. That is, oh, I love these questions, by the way. Um, it is so difficult because I feel like, at least for me, the online world is so much different than my offline world. My offline world, until a couple of years ago, um, in the online world, my offline world, the support, the um, understanding, and there's not like a lot of aggressive behavior in regards to like what type of language you use it's more forgiving in that sense because people truly genuinely just want to learn they just want to know okay how can I support you and people are going to make mistakes people across the board are going to make mistakes so when I entered ventured into the online world as an adult a couple of years ago I felt you know what I um I mean I've been on the online world for a long time but in the advocacy sense, I really wanted my, I really wanted to find other adults on the spectrum. I mean, I desperately wanted to find other adults on the spectrum because I started becoming more comfortable with letting people know that I'm on the spectrum. So that was about three years ago now. Wow. Um, so when I did that, when I started doing that, there was, I was just so like blown away by how like very polarizing the community can be for the adult community (laughs) in the adult world with adults on the spectrum. Like if I were to say that I'm on the spectrum, it was like, you can't say that. I can't say I have autism. And I was like, you have to say you're autistic. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Because in my world, even in the mental health world, identity is so important and people should be allowed to identify how they choose. That is like one of the things therapy 101. So I was like, wait, we can't tell other people how to choose how to identify. And then language evolves over time. You know, and I can go based off the mental health world because that's what my profession is in. So what mental health used to be, psychology used to be in the 70s is so much different than now because language evolves. But it takes the regular everyday public to catch up to that. And so there's a lot of giving people grace periods and understanding of that. So offline, that was, under, you know, I'm, 
there was not a lot of um, jumping on certain language and things like that, and a lot of forgiveness for if people got it wrong, such as now it's like level one, level two, level three autism, before it was like high functioning and things like that. Like that's still utilized in the everyday sense. And I'm not going to be very aggressive with somebody if they utilize that. So the online space, I got a lot of pushback when I would say these things. I mean, so much so that I did not want to step into the advocacy world at all. I almost completely stepped out of it and I did not, I mean, it was just really bad. I was really shaken, shaken. I had an uptick in meltdowns because I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Is this really how I'm, I must be doing something wrong. I would get a lot of hate in my DMs, so much hate in my DMs. If I were to even say the term ABA, um, you know, when I was just trying to speak with other parents, not from the parents, from a subgroup of people online. And I was so thrown by that. I got told so many horrible things about my parenting skills. And I could like my support group out offline really saw that it took a really big toll on me, mental health wise. Like I can't even, I'm trying to put it into words, but it really was very intense. So and, yeah. and you mentioned um, you know, your your parenting. Uh, you know, style or how you were being a parent, does that have anything to do with certain therapies you might be using and or advocate, uh, advocate for? Yes, it did. Actually, only one, and it was ABA. So, you know, when my son was younger, um, I would say about four years old. So when he first got diagnosed, he got speech therapy, occupational therapy. Um, those are the first two that they gave us. And uh, then when he turned about four years old, he got really extremely aggressive behaviors. He was harming himself. He was really scratching and harming others. It was really bad. Um, now looking back, I always call those years like the dark years because they were really, he was, I can tell he was really struggling and I was struggling to how can I best support him? It was so painful to see him go through that. Like it was, oh, it was so painful. So then um, his pediatrician at the regional center, that's what we call the support group around here, offered us ABA. And I was like, yes. And I was, I was in it. I was in the thick of it. And it was difficult in the beginning um, because one of the things he wanted to do was harm himself. And the meltdowns were intense. But we got some really great ABA therapists. There was a couple of not so great ones, but I advocated like, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. So can we switch? But for the most part, we got some really great ABA therapist, therapists. One was even at my wedding. Like that's oh. how great they were at my wedding when my son was six to help him with like the overload and everything like that. And she, it was just great, great ABA therapist for like good solid four or five years. Um, and through that, I learned techniques, techniques I didn't have before to help with my own meltdowns. It was the best decision we ever made. Best decision ever made for my son. He manages his meltdowns like a pro. He manages, um, he found the language to utilize to inform me that, you know, hey, uh, can we go home? Or I'm not comfortable with this. Or even when he expresses joy. So my son's also level one. He's very verbal. <laughs> um, but he just didn't have the skill set or language at the time to tell me what, what was going on. But ABA... I feel like helped us the way I explain it is like unlocking that door to this whole other world for him and for me. It gave me tools that 
in any other setting, I don't think I would. Wow, I was an adult and I did not get those tools. It's so, so nice to hear some nice things about ABA. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, well, I, we we know each other a little bit from the uh, online world, and mm-hmm. there is so much hate about ABA. And same for us, it's helped in so many ways. You know, people say that it's trying to make an autistic person normal, and all I see are people who are teaching Charlie how to communicate. Uh, you know, with sign language with his iPad. That's another thing that people say about ABA that they only teach verbal communication no (laughs) if anything like it's the opposite for us like they're trying everything that is not verbal because charlie has apraxia on top of autism so it's really hard to you know for him to get the words out so we're trying sign language now that his fine motor skills are getting there um but anyway you said something that i feel like is so important and that people really need to uh, understand is that you said you had some therapists one a few i forget what you said but that you didn't like and you just you voice your concern and you got a new therapist, right? And that's it. If there's something that you don't like that the therapists are doing, well, you say something, you know, they, they don't have only one therapist. If you don't vibe with one, um, you say something and, and that's it. You know, it's same as a teacher or a babysitter. Like people treat ABA as such like that evil thing when it's the same as everything else in life. You know, you can, you can speak up and the profession itself is not, abusive at all of course you're gonna have some bad therapists but that's the same in all the fields and to me it blows my mind that people don't don't get that you know they they make it about the the field about the therapy itself and that's not right yeah i agree a thousand percent you know what i said earlier about the so the mental health field psychotherapy psychology where we were about when it first came out with freud in the beginning of my profession this is the profession like I'm in, that I've been in since I was 18. It was not, where it is now and where it was when it began, again, evolved over time. It was very rude to women. It was not the best in the beginning, um, but they did the best they could with what they had, right? But now it's evolved. It's more inclusive. Um, It's, we have different modalities to choose from. The same thing with any therapeutic field where how it started and the reasons for starting it and where it is now, it's an evolved um, evolution over time. So in my field, if you don't, you're not gonna mash like gel with every therapist, you, it's impossible. And nor will I gel with every client. It's impossible to expect that, realistic expectations. So in those cases, you just find another therapist, second opinions, et cetera. Same thing with doctors. Every field we would do the same thing in. So I never understood why would ABA be any different? My son was never supposed to be able to like fit with every single therapist that came across our you know, doorstep. There was a couple that, that for the majority of the time, it worked out really well. And then there was two specific ones where it just didn't, one, I just didn't feel comfortable. Like me as the parent, I was just like, mm, I don't know. Like it's, it just didn't, wasn't the best comfort level. And then the second one was because there was a technique that was implemented And again, because I had such a good um, BCBA before, I just didn't care for this BCBA. So I was like, you know what? I think it'd be best for a better fit with somebody else. And then that's it. And then we moved on and you continued on with therapy. So just like with any other field, that's the part that where I get stopped up, like I get stopped up whenever I hear that is I'm like, every field is similar in that instance where one, it evolved from when it first came out as it should. The more info you know, the more peer-reviewed science that backs it up, 
you want to evolve, change techniques, improve upon techniques. Do it in my field all the time, every year. So why wouldn't it be the same for ABA? Now, but for parents who may not have as much background as you, not just as a mental health uh, clinician, therapist, but also as an autistic person yourself, sorry, a person with autism yourself, um, <laughs> then, you know, what tips would you give parents on what to look for in a good ABA therapist and what to not look for? Because uh, I think that's really important. Um, I'll start with the what to not look, or well, at least for me, what didn't gel so well. One thing was um, when you would say that, okay, if you reach this milestone, then, you know, we get to do a preferred task. And then she would keep moving the goalpost. Like, oh, no, no, now you got to do this before. And it was just frustrating. It was frustrating for me too. And I was like, wait, don't do that. Um, so if they keep moving the goalpost and the goals aren't actually set down, you know, like, this is what we're working on today. This is what it's going to look like. If they can't explain what it is that they're doing and, you know, again, create that rapport with you and with the child, and it'll take time, but if they can't explain it, um, then it might not be the best fit. Maybe so, whether it be they need more training or something like that. Or again, it's just, if the way they're explaining it, just you, you just don't feel comfortable at the end of the day, then it may not be the best fit. So the issue from what I'm gathering is not so much of a reward itself, but just a reward, like, like a carrot in front of a horse and the horse keeps running after it and never gets the carrot, but like, uh, but you know, getting a reward for doing something, you know, is the reason that pretty much everyone does anything. Right. Um, so, but so what you're saying is, you know, actually give the reward and don't just, you know, keep, you know, keep holding that in front of them without giving it to them, have obtainable goals with a clear plan in mind. Yeah. I love that word that you use, obtainable goals, realistic goals, you know, um, because the goal is not, it, and should never be to set off a meltdown. That is not the um, overall goal right there. <laughs> so yeah, obtainable and realistic goals. Um, also, I do believe that, um, you know, something that's very interesting, I'm doing a little sidebar of what you just said, is that, yes, human behavior, we work towards things because then we get that we do it all the time. We have 40 hour job weeks. I mean, mine is quite different because I get to structure my world the way I want. But even me, yeah, no, even me, we have a set end at the, and then we look forward to the weekend. So we have a certain amount of hours we work, then we look forward to like a certain day. We look forward to the weekend. It's human behavior. Typical children go through it all the time in school. What I think is the unique part about ABA and also why it's so effective is because it's specially fine-tuned for those on the spectrum or those that are struggling with certain behaviors due to a diagnosis. That's why it's fine-tuned. I have a stepdaughter with Down syndrome and she also received ABA and it helped her immensely with her behaviors and her being able to communicate. So it's, it fine tunes for those who are different because they're not going to be able to do the behavioral or fine tune their behaviors in a typical setting. So I think that's like, that's great. If you can get it more applied to people who are different and not typical, that's a good start. At least again, in my opinion. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, there are, yeah, so many things about 
ABA that are used in our everyday life, whether we're autistic or not. <laughs> that's that's the thing that people don't understand. Like even like the most neurotypical person in the world, like is still using like ABA uh, techniques, whether they realize it or not. You know, um, that's how life works. And I don't understand why people are so against rewards. We we use them. Just, you know, like smiling at someone like in itself is, is a reward, you know, when they say something like it's every little behavior is like ABA in a way, you know, um, anyway, I could go on and on about ABA yeah. for a long time. <laughs> really? But, Are you sure, Eileen? I, I didn't yeah. think you could. So, yeah, but it's nice to have someone <laughs> who actually agrees with me for once. So last time it didn't go so well. Um, anyway, uh, how do you, uh, do you deal with the the hate online i know you mentioned earlier that at some point you didn't even think you could go through is like being an autism advocate because of it so what changed yeah um well as i put to my um friends and family was you know i got immense support from them um i set very firm boundaries very firm boundaries and that was a gave me the ability to find my voice again it really was a hard time um, when I first started getting that influx of hate. I was shocked. And the reason how it started was, um, so every year I do the autism walk here in my uh, county, here in California, uh, Southern California. It's huge. Half a million people at one point were going, especially before the pandemic. So it made me sad that last year we couldn't do it. Well, I did it online. Half a million? And that's what, yeah. And Jesus. so it's with Autism Speaks. And uh, so what happened was, is I was doing, they changed it to online because of the pandemic. And that was the first time I ever got hate because I used this hashtag, hashtag autism speaks. And I got a few DMs of saying really horrible things and I just couldn't believe it. And then that's when all trickled down from there. And so I was just like, so shocked. But then as you asked, you know, um, I set really firm boundaries. You don't get to talk to me like that online or offline. Nobody would ever do that offline. No one has ever in my life talked to me like that offline. And you don't get to do it online either. Point blank, period. You don't get to do that. You don't get the on anonymity of saying crappy things like that to someone because of the online spectrum and not and expecting people not to, um, you know, like I now I post. If someone sends me that, I will post on my stories like, just as a reminder to others, like this hate exists and it shouldn't. It shouldn't exist. It shouldn't. And if you, because I set those boundaries, you feel shame for sending somebody something like that. I'm like, you should feel shame. You should not do that. So that's how I found my voice again is I set really firm boundaries. Sometimes I'll get tagged in certain people's posts and I have a copy paste message. And then sometimes I'll put like, you know, depending on what they tag me in and I'll just say straight out, I don't know you. I don't know this person that you tagged me in their post. I, we can agree to disagree. You have a great day. Please don't ever tag me in another post again. And that's it. And then they'll try to do a back and forth. And I'm like, I said what I had to say. I don't agree with you. And you don't have to agree with me. But you don't get to do that to me. No one gets to harass me, just free will. Nope. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like we can disagree with each other. What's not okay is like the dog piling. It's then that, okay, this person doesn't agree with me. So I'm going to tell all of my friends to go attack this person, you know, like that's not advocacy. 
and it's become such a big issue in the issue in the community that so many people are at the place where you were. They like they don't want to be an autism advocate. Like I cannot tell you how many messages I get from parents and autistic people who are like, I want to do this, but I am so scared of the hate. Like even like tiny little icons with like a hundred followers get attacked if they use the wrong hashtag. This is terrible. You know, I have a friend who's an adult in uh, ABA and uh, she actually wrote a post for Autism Speaks, but she was scared. So she did it anonymously. You know, that's where people are at. You have to say you're in favor of ABA, like hiding your name. You can't even use your name to say you're in favor of ABA. Like I don't blame them because the hate is so bad, but um, I don't know. I feel like that should be a waking, uh, wake up call for a lot of people. Like people are being silenced, are being bullied into silence, basically is what's going on right now. And if we want to, you know, like we're not saying ABA is perfect. Like listen to us. Like we just talked about, you know, things that are not good in ABA. Like there is a middle ground to be found. And I know like autistic people, there is a lot of black and white thinking. Um, but we can find a middle ground, you know, ABA is not going anywhere. So let's reform ABA instead of like just um, just trying to make it disappear because it's not going to disappear. So we might as well work together. But there are a lot of people who don't want to do that. I feel like they get pleasure out of just, you know, that uh, I don't know if it's a social justice thing, but it's almost like it's their all online personality. Yeah, I would for me, when I see it, it's more of like that creating discourse, you know, just for discourse's sake and not really like purposeful and intentional. Yeah. Um, I've been in a lot of social justice circles. I mean, I, I feel very passionate about a lot of different like human rights violations that like, and I've never, and I've seen hate for a lot. Like I've seen people spew hate or have really large disagreements, but the hate that I received and autism advocacy is on another level to a person who is also, you know, identif- who, yeah, who is autistic, who is diagnosed autistic or what, however people want to be in the realm. But that is so incredibly, you know, it's just, I got taken aback and I really had to do a lot of inner thinking and, inner, you know, a lot of so- true soul searching. I know it sounds cheesy, but I really did because there's so many other areas of my life where I don't mind being on the forefront. I really don't. And this one, it was so intense that I was just like, I wanted that anonymity. And then I realized um, because I saw so many other people like you did, Eileen, you know, just not want to, they were so worried about saying the wrong thing. I was like, you know, I'm in such a privileged position. I'm in the mental health field. I least like my first from here on out, for the rest of my life, I'm going to do research on autism, on whatever I get to choose. Like, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing research. My dissertation is on women um, on the spectrum, women with autism in relational settings. So that's what I'm working on right now. But I will be doing that for the rest of my life. So if I have this privilege, why would I silence? Why would I allow others to silence me? And then why would I silence myself? So that is one of the main, like, where I did, like, an, just, nope, I can't, like, let someone who has no idea who I am, knows nothing about me, silence me. Because they're already silencing so many people that need support, that truly want and need support. And so, yeah, I just couldn't do that. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. 
And something that I always think about is that we're, you know, the people who are not arguing back are the nice ones, the ones who have jobs. I mean, I actually don't know the statistics, uh, but, you know, how many, you know, BCBAs there are, you know, in the country and how big a business ABA is. And, you know, the, you know, I always find it interesting how, you know, they're not attacking the BCBA providers. They're not boycotting ABA. They're not trying to change ABA laws. They're trying to get the the one parent to, you know, do something else for their child, right? Or really, you know, call, sometimes, you know, trying to call the person's job and threaten them or boycott the product or cancel. And, and one thing that I fear is that there won't be enough good people like you who, you know, who truly care. And if somebody was looking to get into this field and they would say, well, it seems like the online community doesn't really want this. So, you know, basically I feel like we, we're probably creating like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where, where I think there will be less good ABA therapists because we're like, you know, there's still going to be ABA therapists. So then there will be people who don't actually care. Um, and I'm just concerned about the long-term harm of that. I don't know if that made any sense whatsoever. If it did, please tell me your thoughts. And if it didn't, then, you know, sorry. No, it, it made sense. And, you know, in the online space, I've been able to find, um, a few ABA therapists who they themselves are also autistic, um, and they are doing the work from the inside out. You know, you want to, uh, change a system then you have it takes work it does it takes people inside the system outside the system etc um and again i stress this in any field this is not like aba is just not like this special like it's own little world as what it's made out to be no this is in any field and any system that's created people change it from the inside people change it from the outside you know there's multiple roles so just like attacking parents who are already worried, scared, they were just looking for a safe haven. You know, I was there at one point. I wasn't diagnosed until my late 20s. And when my son first got diagnosed, I was 20, about 26. Um, and all I wanted was support. I was just looking, what do I do? So I would ask anybody, just like finding information, gobbling up information, what's the next step now to help best support my child? And other parents are looking for the same thing. More often than not, that's all they're looking for. And so someone to like attack them and scream at them and tell them they're doing something wrong, that's, that's not very productive. I, I think as you as a therapist <laughs> would not change many people's behavior if that was your strategy. I mean, it might work for like, you know, Dave, uh, no, um, uh, might work for, that's uh, not, not Dave Ramsey. Oh my God. We're going to have to cut this because I'm an idiot. Uh, who's the kitchen guy who screams at people? Hell's Kitchen. Gordon why, Ramsay. Why am I having such a brain fart right now? Oh, my God. Gordon Ramsay. Okay, I just told so you. we're going to cut this. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, as a therapist, that doesn't work. You know, Gordon Ramsay does not, you know, work in therapy, right? Screaming at people, you know, that uh, the Beef Wellington, still no idea what Beef Wellington is, although they make it a so lot. So good. <laughs> scallops too oh my god scallops are great well yeah. in connecticut we have lots of scallop boats we're like uh the scallops right. are yeah see. yeah ocean yeah yeah but no it would not work in my profession at all um in fact we have a whole ethical board that you probably 
you know, get a lot of marks on your license if you ever <laughs> were screaming yeah. at your clients. Um, I'm sure it's tempting someone sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's just one of those things where we, if you want to create change, it, like I said, it takes work and empathy <laughs> for others who are in a certain plight for whatever advocacy you want to do. And if you're lacking that or slash attacking on a constant basis, those that are either looking for help or trying to help, what improvements are ever going to be made from that? None. You're going to, in fact, at least in the online space, sticking with the online space, one of the most polarizing things that I ever saw is a bubble gets created where you're going to hear a lot of voices that agree with you. Because you're going to think that that's everybody. And that boggles my mind because I know again so many people in the offline space who don't do anything on the online space you know as much as we think everybody's online they're not they're not looking at the same content that you may be doing so if you have 20,000 people who are all saying yes to something that doesn't mean it's everyone in the autistic community no it doesn't mean everyone agrees with this because I had 200 people say yes on my poll or something like that and that's the most frustrating, like mind-boggling thing. I'm like, no, or the majority. What I always heard was at least told to me, like the majority say they want to be say they're autistic. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. That's great if you do, but no one ever gets to tell me how to identify. No one ever gets to tell my son how to identify. Or the, you know, again, off, offline space, I go to um, support groups for adults with autism. No one should ever tell any of them how to identify. Yep. So that uh, only I'm, is I'm the majority you. then. Oh, it's only the majority because often what they mean is that they did a survey in their groups, their groups that ban anybody they disagree with. Uh, and within this group, their eco chamber, yeah, they're the majority. But if anyone doesn't like ABA, they're going to be banned uh, from the group. So of course, no one's going to answer that they're like in favor of ABA. If people identify as person with autism, they're going to be banned from the group. So of course, if you do a survey, everyone's going to answer autistic. I mean, it's like the most, but it's so biased. What's the, the word? Batshit yes. crazy comes to mind. I thought that's what you were going for, <laughs> but I guess yeah. bias works too. So it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so I, one of the best things that was told to me, and this was another thing that just really helped me like bring balance to this online world and my real world, I like to call it, or the offline world, um, was when I got asked um, about like going to the walks. I do it every year. Me, my whole family, we make a whole thing about it. We go to the, um, and it's uh, sponsored by Autism Speaks. They actually created the walk. It's huge. It's at, here in Pasadena. And then we made, it's a big thing. And they asked me and they go, yeah. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like my shirt has a little puzzle piece. Again, symbols, oh my, it's so polarizing. And I didn't know that three years ago. <laughs> um, but then they told me, okay, how many people are at that walk? And I said, it gets to hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. At one point it was 500,000 people were at that walk. We have tens of thousands of people yearly that go. And they said, all those people, those are the people they they still like they're there they're, they're you you guys are all in this together they're supporting whether it be the same organization or utilizing the same thing xyz whatever it is and i was like that's so true and that's when i took a step back and i looked around me and i said you know what this is my community offline and it's not like online 
versa. And that's what matters. If I can scream online all I want, but if I'm not creating the change in my community, if I'm not doing the actual work in my community, what good is it going to do? What good is it going to do if I have hundreds of thousands of followers, but I don't ever step outside and actually do as a mental health specialist, but you know, as a psychotherapist in my community, that the daily change that needs to be done, the daily support. So it's about balance. That's how I balance myself in all of this. And so you're a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your practice, uh, do you have a specialty? Do you work as a marriage counselor or are there, uh, what is your day job look like? <laughs> so we, as sex therapists, uh, some of us have focuses and some don't. And my focus is trauma. So I have a few, um, uh, focuses, but my main focus that I've always, uh, worked on in my field, um, or at least in my practice is trauma, um, veterans, uh, support for veterans, support for those who are neurodiverse and their families. Um, and those are like the top three that, uh, is my focus, my, uh, specialty skill set. We call it our focus as opposed to like my specialty, but yeah, that's my focus. So trauma since, in the military, like that's been my focus and I'm very comfortable um, in that realm. And not many people are. It's it's a very difficult uh, field um, to focus in. It's a very difficult specialty to focus in, in, in my field. But- what, I, Why is it, uh, what makes it difficult? Uh, the burnout rate. If you work with, you know, you hear a lot of, uh, traumatic stories and us as clinicians we carry that we help carry the load share the load with our clients and so um the burnout rate is very high um you're privy to a lot of quite unfortunate uh stories and but i just you know gosh it's been 10 years now i can't believe it almost 10 years i know 20 oh my goodness because i joined the military when i was 17 (laughs) so i'm like wow um of just being in the thick of when it comes to trauma, trauma focused care. And it's just something that I'm found, I found out that I'm really good at. And I love it. I love the work I do. I truly do. I love the work I do. That's the most important thing. What do they say? Uh, if you love your job, you won't ever have to work a day in your life. <laughs> and I really do love my job. And you're helping people. I mean, it's really perfect. Um, all right, you know the podcast, so you know what quickfire questions are? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? That if others have done it before, then that means you can do it too. What do you like to do to relax? Listen to music. What's your favorite artist or band? Okay, you can say three. I know it's hard. Okay, my favorite artist or band right now. I love the Beatles. Oh, me too. We do. Um, Oh, I love um, Vicente Fernandez. Uh, He's huge in my culture. Oh, I love him so much, his music. And um, oh my gosh, it's just like so hard right now. Oh, Nicki Minaj. I adore Nicki Minaj. (laughs) I just love it. So very random people, but I love them all. What's your favorite food? A pizza, lasagna, lasagna, hands down, lasagna, and then pizza. (laughs) 
what's your favorite movie or TV show? Oh my goodness. Um, oh, the movie that comes to mind is Sabrina. The one with Harrison Ford. Okay. Best branch of the military? Army. Nah. Okay, because I was in it, but that's <laughs> Air Force. Air Force is the best branch. If anybody ever asks me, oh, I want to join the military, I always tell them, go to the Air Force. Why? What's the reason? Because they treat their uh, soldiers so well, and they have all the top quality stuff, and then anything, everything else trickles down to the rest of us. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I never knew that. That's so interesting. You know, I don't know. People that score really high on, I think it's like as ASVAB, ASVAB test. I believe that's what it's called. It's been a while now, but um, yeah, they get scooped up into there. Just if I could do it over again, I probably would have joined the Air Force. I wanted to join the Marines. I really did. But then they told me I had to cut my hair and I always had long hair. And I was like, because you have to cut it short here as a female Marine. And I was like, no, that's the only reason I didn't join the Marines. So then I went to the Army. Oh, I could. Yeah. If I would have known, I would have been there. <laughs> That's awesome. I yeah, I'm not familiar at all with that world, and it's it's nice to hear from you, especially as a as a female, as a woman. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great speaking with you, and I I hope people listen and hear you know another perspective from an autistic adult in favor of ABA and all the important things we talked about. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope so too. You know, I know hopefully a couple of people are listening out there, but you know, it's just a couple. Yeah, a few people, hopefully more than a couple. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Where can they find you online, by the way? Do you want to on social media? If you want them to find you, Um, that's fine. So my Instagram is Army Brat Chick. Hopefully by next year when I graduate, it'll be different. but and then Blue Alliance is at Blue Alliance is uh, my um, company's Instagram or my businesses private practice Instagram. <laughs> but I'm mostly on Instagram. That's why I keep talking about Instagram. <laughs> I have Facebook very rarely. No, too much. Yeah, it's okay. insane. I think you're in our group, um, adulting on the spectrum, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Nice. Yeah, I love to see you know the boundaries that the group put on from the get go, and I was like, oh, okay. And I realized there are safe spaces out there. Um, they were needed, and I'm glad they were created. But there are good, inclusive groups out there for parents and for those on the spectrum, you know. And I think that's just a step in the right direction. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, it was so, so great speaking with you. Right, Andrew? You enjoyed it? Yeah, that? no, I enjoyed it. It was great. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. Of course. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I'm in it.